Okay, good morning everyone. Morning. Um, if you have, well, you do have a Bible because there's a lot of them in front of you. Please grab one and we are going to be continuing working through the book of Ephesians on chapter 5 today. On, that's the page 1159 in the Red Pew Bibles in front of you. Instead of reading the whole huge chunk of scripture all at once, I'll just read the first few verses that kind of act as a the, you know, the summary main idea kind of statement for the whole time today. Beginning of uh, verse 1 in chapter 5, this is what it says. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. That is the word of the Lord. So, my son Micah, he's six. Uh, he's usually, if there's a group of kids, he's one of the ones that are the loudest in volume. Just that kind of kid. Maybe some of you were that when you were six, too. And uh, he, he's cute. We, we love him, right? And so he, he has this funny habit he does where, uh, you know, he just turned six, so reading or writing, he's learning, he's trying to get those things down. But what he loves to do is copy things. Like, he, he has a passion for getting something and getting a, a blank sheet of paper and a, and a pen and try to copy the things he sees, okay? And so he does this with uh, mail. We get random mail, like advertisements, like, buy this car sale, you know, whatever it is. And so I'm in the kitchen doing something, cooking breakfast, and like, Daddy, look, read this. And it's just like this, this stream of letters, like some are, you know, sideways and upside down, and some you can kind of make out a word, but you, you don't really. And then it's always kind of the funny thing, like when I try to read it aloud, it sounds like I'm reading in tongues, you know. It's like, how do you know about it? It's all over the place. And because you can't really, you know, he, it's cute, right? You, you enjoy his effort just to want to copy and write things down, but he doesn't know what he's doing. Right? He doesn't know the words that he's copying. He just maybe recognizes a letter or two, but he's just copying things by sight. All right? And I want to use that illustration to say that when we read verses like this, when it says, be imitators of God, therefore, um, just as Christ uh, dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, there's a lot of uh, ways that people some, can sometimes approach Christianity that you think uh, taking on something like Christianity in our life is kind of like my son just copying a mailer down to another. So it's like, okay, so I have to learn to like do new things. Is that it? Like new habits and new patterns and new kind of things and just kind of copy them. And maybe just do it enough times to where, you know, God is pleased with me, okay? But the, the difference is like my son Micah, there's no, um, I'm gonna use a word that I may have made up. I don't think, I think it's a real thing interiorization, I guess it's a word, um, it's a word, it's good, it works, thank you, thank you for affirming that. Sometimes you make up words, I don't know, I make them up a lot. When you, you take those things that we read in this, in this book right here, we don't just say, okay, how do I just like do that? One of the first most important steps is that it gets inside of you. That you say, okay, Lord, if, if, if this is the kind of life that you're calling me to do, I need much more than just some outward, you know, uh, formation or outward new habits. I need my heart 
to be altered, to be changed. I need these things to go inside of me and actually change me to where when I do live these things out, it's not just copying something, but it's embodying what has already happened inside of me. It's embodying what God has already done to you and to your heart, and your outward actions then reflect the state of your heart, to where there's no discrepancy. What is inside of you and your feelings and your thoughts and your longings and your desires, that they are not able to be separated from the way in which you live. That is what it means to be an imitator of God. And the way that Paul talks about it here in this passage of Scripture is that this, this, this inward uh, uh, formation and change that begins by faith and begins by the, the work of the Spirit into our lives, that it leads to the outward manifestation of the change that happened inside of us. The way that New Testament, the way that Paul and the other New Testament authors talk about this change is that we embody the death of Jesus in our daily lives. It's, it's, it's a unique way, perhaps, to, to say that. What do you mean embody somebody's death? Like that sounds, you know, a little bit of an archaic kind of thought. How do you embody the death of somebody? And we're going to work through what that means today because embodying the death of Jesus, ultimately, it means that all of you that you have given over to him. And there's a death that happens in that exchange. Right, when, when he calls you, says, I want you to be my, you are my son and daughter, you are in my image, I love you, but I died for your sins and I am offering you the newness of life if you turn from your sins. And I'm, I am offering that you, that you take on my burdens which are easy and which is light and it will lead to a different kind of living a alteration in how you live that will embody the life of heaven onto earth. I'm inviting you to take this on, but before you take it on, you're going to have to die to yourself. Just like Jesus did as he hung on that cross. He died for you, and he says, this isn't just my death now, this is your death. That's when Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. This is the position of the Christian as you approach this faith. But, you know, that's all of us. America is often in the Western world. Uh, we're like that chest of drawers that we have in our bedrooms where we have, like, this drawer that has this article of clothing, this one that has this article of clothing, this one that has all the miscellaneous junk that you don't know what to do with, but you shove it into a drawer and shut it in there, and your wife tells you to, to clean it up. You never do. That happens to me. Right? Like, it's just little compartments where everything's kind of divided up. And in America, we get used to kind of having this one drawer and saying, this is my work life. I'm just going to, I have that here, but I get to shut that off when I clock out, and then I get to go home. Oh, this is my other drawer where I maybe, you know, don't quite bring home the way that I was at work into this home. I just separate those two things. And so then that's my, and then it's also my me time, right? When I get to have my alone time, and that's this drawer over here. Then there's this other drawer, and it's all, there's no real cohesion to say, how does it all come together? Like, do you have a, a, a vision that unites all of these things in your life? Or are you just trying to manage all of these drawers going back and forth, 
right? They're trying to maybe just hopefully in this one work drawer that there's a certain appearance that you want to look like to your coworkers. But in your house, you're kind of learning to fake it around your family, your siblings to kind of make them appease and so it'll kind of leave you alone. So you have this one me time drawer. You're like, oh, finally, I get to just do what I want to do. This is the American way of life. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm offering you a vision that just says, throw away all of that, and here's a cohesive, united vision of how to live that connects all areas of our life in utter submission to him. He says, I get all of those things. I get all of you. And it's all united beneath the vision of on earth as it is in heaven, right? That's the vision for the Christian life. And so we're gonna work through this sermon this morning as he walks through just how this looks in the Christian life. Back to verse 1 and 5, he says this, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering. If you were to translate it literally, it would say an offering that is smelly. It's kind of funny, right? But it's this, you can smell it. It's fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So here's an interesting question that I actually asked, okay? Imitate the love of Jesus, a life of love, just as Christ loved us. And it's kind of an interesting kind of idea. Like why, let me just ask the question, why would you want to, to do that? Why would you want to live a life of love? And that drives us to really want to define just what it means that Christ loves us. Right? Well, what does it mean that he loved us, and how would that impact my life as living a life of love? And it reminded me of this quote I read by um, one of my favorite authors and uh, uh, pastors I've, I've tracked with throughout the years, uh, Timothy Keller, out of his book on marriage. Listen to these words, and it's actually fascinating the way he describes um, love here. He says this, talking about the feeling of actually being loved. When I read this, I want you to consider this, because Paul is saying the example of love is first found in Christ. It starts there. And then once we understand the way Christ has loved us, that is to guide our life of love. And that's the process. And so if you want to understand love, don't look to, I almost said MTV as if it's like 1995. Who watches MTV anymore? Don't look to media or, or cultural examples of how to understand love, right? Look to Jesus, and this is what, how Keller talks about this. He says, to be loved, I'm gonna read this slowly, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. But to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and it fortifies for any, fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. This is what he's trying to say. I can have, like when I was in high school, I had like 100 friends. I was really good at making everybody like me, and it felt okay, but nobody knew me. See the difference there? Like, I didn't actually expose all of myself to people. I learned to keep some of that, you know, tucked away because I'm like, they probably wouldn't actually like me if they understood this part. So I'll learn to 
you know, fake it here and just kind of make everybody like me. And it feels nice, but nobody actually knew me. I was afraid if they did, they wouldn't actually want to be around me anymore, right? We know that's true. But that one person who says, I know you and your warts and your beauties and everything in between, and I still love you. And I still want to remain committed to you in friendship or in marriage. There's something inside of us that says, I, I need that. And so if, if that's in our human relationships a need, and, and the Bible talks about that, uh, that there's not a, a secret in our hearts that is not known by God, but he still sent his son to die for you. Knowing, every, knowing you more than you know yourself, right? The idea is, wow, and he still loves me. He still remains committed to me. That is the witness of love that we receive in Christ, right? And when we flip that around and Paul says, live this life of love to those around you, that involves grace, that involves forgiveness, that involves generosity, so many things because it's messy out there, folks. It's messy, and we know it is, right? Relationships are just messy, but when we bring the love of Christ to them, we get to walk through people's messiness with them because it says, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm probably one of the most messy people out there, but Jesus still loves me, so I'm going to walk into this mess of, of your life too and be the witness of the love of Christ as I still remain committed to you in your messiness. So hopefully, together here, we can learn what it means to grow into the likeness of Jesus. This is what Paul is drawing the church here into. Now, Paul says, imitate God, imitate Jesus, right? And, and he uses the idea of a sacrifice in doing so. Okay, this is Old Testament language in the Hebrew Scriptures hearkening way back to the book of Leviticus and the sacrificial system way back then, which is a whole different sermon for a different day. But the idea is um, uh, if you are a sacrifice brought to the altar, a death happened, right? In Romans 12.1, and this verse here uh, uh, in Ephesians 5.1, it, it's spoken of as our life as one of a continual smell good, fragrant offering on the altar of sacrifice. In Romans 12, it says that we are to be a living sacrifice. That is our spiritual act of worship. It's like we're living dead people. What, we're zombies. Christians are zombies, all right? That's what, that's what the Bible talks about, it says, okay? We are living dead people. And the idea is that there is a, a full submission that God is asking of us, that we are laying down the altar, and this is probably something we need to do every day, just say, okay, Lord, have all of me today. And then you wake up the next day and was like, man, he didn't get all of me. Okay, I'm laying down again. Have all of me, Lord. You need all, I need to give you all of me. Jesus, teach me what it means to give you all of myself. Take all of me, Lord. Take all of me. This is what it means that you have a living sacrifice every single day, living it out, because you, you need to fight always to give, to relinquish control of your own life, to just let go of yourself and cast the fullness of all of your mind and heart and soul and strength unto God. And that is the, the imagery that comes of a living sacrifice. That you don't have authority over yourself anymore. That you are no longer king of your own life. That you have fully recognized that Jesus is your king. 
and you therefore relinquish control over your own life and cast it onto him. And now Paul kind of parses this out. He, he kind of, you know, breaks it down and says, here's some specific more, kind of like last week's sermon, here's some specific examples of how this looks. And he's, again, addressing the church in Ephesus and some of the churches surrounding them. Um, we can assume that some of these things were present. Right? These are former pagans, right, where there was different ways of pagan worship that involved occult prostitutes and all these things. And so to, to take on these, the, the, the new path of life in the Spirit by the power of the Spirit to walk forward involved putting off a lot of these old pagan practices. And these are the things that Paul's kind of addressing as we pick it up in verse thir- 3. He says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, and here's our key here, but rather thanksgiving. For of these things you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Paul doesn't pull punches here. You can read that and say, wow, I guess there's no hope for this guy. Huh? <laughs> like, this is rough, Paul. Like, really? This is crazy. Let's walk through this. Okay? Now, we must recognize that Paul is casting a vision here, not even a hint of things like sexual immorality or impurity agreed to be among you. Okay? Now, we know in our sick hearts... The more idols that we find, as, as Calvin used to say uh, from the, one of the reformers, he said, if you pull up an idol out of your heart, you'll just discover like three more, right? It's kind of the, the never-ending process of flushing things out of your heart just to discover more things that need to be flushed out because of how complex uh, uh, the wickedness can be inside of us, right? There's so many layers to it, and it just be a, it's a whole lifetime of just pulling things out to learn new ways that we're sinners, right? That we even continually surprise ourselves. But the reality is to have the goal of these things not having a hint among us that drives us to not be settled with ourselves. To say, you know, there's a, this, this new kind of human life that Jesus has given me through the power of his spirit calls me to live this life of heaven. I'm going to remain in pursuit of that to where I will be dissatisfied if I find things in my life that need to be flushed out. I'm not going to get um, uh, apathetic or lazy in this Christian walk. I want to take these things seriously, not even a hint. I mean, that's, it's, it's like a euphemism, right? It's, it's a call to take this very seriously because the witness of the gospel is on the line through you in many ways. This is a, it's a mighty, uh, weighty kind of task, Right? If the witness of the change that comes when one accepts Christ and starts following him is found however imperfectly it is in your own life. And Paul says, take these things seriously. Sexual immorality, impurity, and greed, these things are improper for God's holy people. Nor obscenity or foolish talk, of course, joking, which is out of place, but rather thanks giving. The idea, I believe here, is that it seems almost like random, and it may seem random to us when if you were the original recipients, maybe it would not have seemed random because of what was happening in these churches. But Paul gives us a clue here as to 
why these things are called out of in the Christian life. Like, why are these things something that is not of Christ, not of this life of love that we're called to be? He says, but rather put off all these things and put on thanksgiving. Now consider this. What do you, if, if you understand that you are a child of God and God is sovereign and that nothing happens outside of his knowledge and all the mysteries that are involved with that, I know there are many. The reality is what Paul, you know, that's this question what Paul asked in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. He, said, he asked this church in Corinth, he said, what do you have that you did not receive? Right? Th- think about this. If, if, if our claims of God are true, then what do you have in your life that is not a gift to you? What do you have? If you had a meal this morning, was that a gift? Yes, it was. Right? If you have people in your life, um, opportunities to either be a witness of Christ or those, those people close to you that help sharpen you and help you grow, are, are they a gift? Both. The answer is yes, they are. And then once you have a posture of thanksgiving, it brings respect to other people. It helps you treat them, as Philippians says, perhaps even as more important than yourself. You start thinking of not yourself, but the, the gifts around you, and even those who gave you the gift, or the gift giver, as James refers to him. And it puts you a whole different posture, right? To where you realize if there's any kind of coarse joking, that often those kind of things are, you know, funny statements at somebody else's expense. That's what they, a lot of those things are, right? It's mocking something to get somebody to laugh when somebody else's dignity is on the line here. But a posture of thanksgiving says, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm going re- to respect. I, I, I realize that everything I have has been a gift in my life. And so it's not about me making people laugh or me laughing at somebody else's expense, but rather I realize that is another image bearer of God that has a dignity that I have in light of Jesus, and therefore I'm going to give that person, even if I don't like him or her, I'm going to give them respect and love. And it's a whole different posture that Paul is calling this church to take, one of thanksgiving. Thankfulness combats self-centered living because it causes you to appreciate those who have helped you or giving gifts to you. It turns your attention from yourself to others, which is one of the crucial and basic foundational blocks of love. But then he continues on here. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is even shameful to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This path of life that Paul is calling us to uh, to take, it is walking in the light, and light exposes the darkness. And it's kind of a before and after mentality. It's recognizing the, the self-centered way in which, you know, this, this world calls us to live that is not in full submission. Yeah, this is an important thing to take note of, okay? From the very beginning of our, of our Bible here, like our, our, the origin story of humanity, okay, 
uh, we all love origin stories, and whenever we watch trilogies or movies or things, you know, they always usually eventually get to somebody's origin story that kind of, we understand the origin story, it kind of gives full color to whatever other movie that you saw that, oh, that's why that person's like this because of, you know, this. And usually in these formats, it's always some kind of super crazy traumatic story that, you know, made this person whatever, and later in life, you know, we, we enjoy origin stories. Well, the origin story of humanity says we were never intended to live as independent beings apart from God, and the moment that we try to do that is when death entered the story, is when our own destruction entered our own story. So when we were actually kicked out of the presence of God, and everything that we mourn and lament in this human experience is born out of us trying to live as if we can do this on our own. And Paul says that is a path of darkness, not the path of flourishing, not the path of life, not the path that when Jesus returns, that one day he will renew all of humanity to be once again like he originally designed us to be. And the Spirit is inside of us longing to help get us back in this path of life. It's to discover who you really are. Discover your true humanity and in in a life of full submission unto God. That is what it means to fully be human here. And Paul says that the fruit of such a life is things like goodness, righteousness, truth. That's the fruit of the life of love. Because let's, let's you know, uh, the deeds of a certain way of life the, and the fruit that comes out of it, that's the way we kind of, we can, we can measure things, right? What, what, what pathway does greed, for example, what's the fruit of greed in somebody's life? It leaves a path of destruction. That's what it does. Or things like sexual immorality. What's the, the fruit of that kind of life? It leads to destruction in somebody's life. And on and on it goes. But the fruit of the life of love that is shown by Jesus in the cross and the path that the gospel sets forth, the fruit is goodness and righteousness and truth. Now I want to make a point here that the Bible claims and again, if we're honest with our own state, like even after Christ, it's like, all right, so, you know, uh, these things are not perhaps exactly uh, normal now. Like the Psalms say things like, nobody is good, not even one of them. And Romans uh, 3 kind of quotes those things as well. And so where's the real source of this kind of, this new life, this life of light? It's the work of the Spirit, which is a supernatural work that is not belonging to our own flesh, our own hands, our own abilities. But in that process of submitting ourselves to God, we allow the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us to transform us, to bring to us things like goodness and righteousness that are scarcely in our ability to do on our own. And that is why all of life is just one of continual dependence on the Spirit to control us and to move in us and to own us as we day, uh, day by day make prayers of submission, saying, Jesus, have your way with me. Holy Spirit, fill me. Have your way with me today. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Is that a prayer you guys pray often? Right? That needs to be something you pray every day. And like that old hymn said, I need thee every hour. Oh, I need thee. I need thee every hour. Right? Spirit, I need you now. Holy Spirit, take me today. I try to, when I wake up in the morning, just kind of roll right over and kind of scooch up on my knees, and even if I'm too lazy to get on my knees on the floor, 
you know, at least in my bed, it's like, Lord, take me today. Like, I, I need you to have my, me today, right? And that's what we're being called to, the goodness and righteousness and truth that comes from the Spirit. And therefore, uh, you know, imitators of Jesus in walking in his light is not by your own power, not by your own might, but by his Spirit, says the Lord. Um, Oh, there's some goodness. I mean, God himself, when he passed by Moses in Exodus 30, 33, 19, when Moses said, I want to see your glory, Lord. He said, my goodness is going to pass by you because God himself is good. Righteousness, he is righteousness. First John 3, 7 refers to uh, God. He himself is righteous, capital R, righteous. Right? And then the truth, Jesus claimed, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life in John 14, verse 6. And so as we close here on the back end of our sermon, I'll take communion here in a moment. Um, verse 13, I'm going to read this one more time. It says, because this is when the supernatural realities of what Paul is calling us to do comes into play. He says, everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. And listen, this is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, I don't know about you guys, but a power that something dead can then come back from life, uh, that's not a natural power, right? We don't see that in nature. Um, when a plant, you know, I, we had a frost come and took out some of my vegetable root or whatever, you know, they're, they're gone. They're, they're done, okay? Um, I can't bring those back, okay? That's not in our na- in a nature in this world to see something that come back to life. But we know that the gospel story says that our Jesus who died, he came out of a grave. And that was the power of the Spirit in him that did something supernatural that changed and altered the course of human history forever and never. So as Paul is calling us to walk on this path of life, he says, wake up, O sleeper, because you think you can do this on your own, but you forget that without the Holy Spirit, you are nothing but a walking dead person, but he came to breathe life enter you. So are you going to wake up and submit himself to you and rise up from your grave? Because then Christ will shine through you and on you. That's what this, it comes from Isaiah 60, 1 through 3. Listen to this. It says, arise and shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. As we transition here to communion, I'm going to say a couple of things. Some of you this morning need a spiritual resurrection. Some of you, once again, need to just resubmit yourself to the things that you claimed, the faith that you claimed to have so many years back. So I need to kind of like have a do-over, Jesus. Like, I, I need a square one here to just submit myself unto your spirit, Lord, that you would rise in me those dead things I want to cast off. You would give me the life that I don't, I can't manifest on my own. Jesus, I need you. Some of you in this room need to take that humble step this morning of confessing that. And allowing, just pray, Holy Spirit, take me. Holy Spirit, take me. Some of you are sleeping because you are still and you want to be the master of your own life. 
that you love having full control of those compartments and those drawers in your life. You're just not ready to, to let go and throw that furniture away and say, okay, it's time that all of my heart is united in the pursuit of Jesus. That you're just relinquishing those corners of your heart that you have not given to the Holy Spirit yet. And today may be the time you say, it's time for me to finally submit, to give this up. And if you have something in your mind right now, when I said that, that's the Holy Spirit surfacing what that is to you. Pay attention to that. Cling to that. Don't try to evade that thought, right? Because that's the Spirit saying that, yeah, that thing that just popped up in your mind, that's, that's what you need to give up. Are you willing right now to do that? Are you willing to awake this morning, oh sleeper? Stop copying like my son Micah does and showing up here and thinking I can just learn these motions and copy myself through this. No, you can't. It's not going to bring the inner transformation that um, is, uh, is required and needed, that supernatural help from the Spirit. So I'm going to stop right here. One of our elders, Mike Whalen, is going to come and lead us in communion this morning. And it's very fitting that we're doing communion this morning because as Paul asked to imitate this life of love as Jesus did, if communion is taking the blood and the bread as we're going to hear, it's one of the most spiritual acts of worship we can do that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, it's, an, it's a way that we're participating in the death of Jesus, not for the atonement of sins, but it's an identification with his death, right? And that's what communion is. So as the worship team comes forward, um, as one of our elders, Mike Whelan, comes forward, um, let's let this time of response uh, uh, be one of allowing the Spirit to have rule and reign over this room this morning. So um, come forward. Let's rise to our feet and respond in song. His blood, the wine. 
pray for you guys as we leave. Jesus, I pray that everyone in this room would walk out of here, Lord, with a, a, a unction, Lord, to uh, take step-by-step in dependence on your Spirit. Lord, I pray for the supernatural work of the Spirit in the lives of all of these saints in this room, Lord, that you would conform them to be the image of your Son, that they may live as lights of the world every single day this week. Surround them with people who need that light, Jesus, this week. May they be ambassadors for you. May you bring healing to these people in this room, Lord, of the brokenness in their spirits. And may they leave here just with a, a lighter load from having repented and turned from them, Lord, and taking on your, uh, your burdens, Lord, which are easy and which are light. We love you, Jesus so much. I pray that your face would just shine upon this church. We pray this in your name. Amen.